Let me just say, isn't it great to be here? What a wonderful day we've had. Tremendous ministry over these last few days. Just feel as though this is a bit the anticlimax, I'm afraid. But it's been wonderful, hasn't it? Um, can I just underline again um, about that Young Life weekend? It's here um, in February, but you don't have to belong to Young Life to come. You would be very, very welcome. We'd love to see you here. Also about the Rugby World Cup, um, we'd love you to sign up if you possibly can help, even if it's just for an hour or two. Please sign up and get the information. Now the tracks there are for individual use, so if you want some of those, do get them and go and you've got to pay for them, but uh, they are there to be individually used. And then just one other thing about the bookstore. I'm a great believer in trying to get out Christian literature. It worries me immensely that schools are often devoid of Christian literature, libraries are, etc. Now, these two books, um, one's been mentioned already, are gorgeous books for children. I'd love to read the first chapter of this to you, the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's just marvellous. And then everything a child should know about God. They're great books. Now, look. If you were to buy the two, which Jonathan, I think, has got on offer at £15 normally, but I think it's about £25 if you got them on Amazon. If you were to buy the two with the intention of putting them, giving them to a school library or a local library, and you could easily go and say, look, I'd like to present these on my behalf to this library. He will let you have both for £10. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if, say, 100, 200 of us got these. It might be you might have to get two of one or whatever and um, and then put them in libraries all over the country and then just prayed that children and parents would take them and read them. I think that'd be very, very thrilling. Now, one of the many sort of things I'm involved in, as you know from the stand-up there, is is Yorkshire camps. Um, For two years, every Monday evening, nearly two years anyway, there's been a prayer meeting about Yorkshire camps, and it's been a wonderful prayer meeting. Starts at eight, finishes just gone nine, never a gap, intense praying, and particularly, not only for the blessing of the Lord on the camps, but particularly about a marvellous building that was up for sale. In the Yorkshire Dales, 30 acres of beautiful scenery, one mile from Grassington, 74 rooms in this big, big hall, and it was up for sale. It was grade two listed, so the price they were asking wasn't really what it was worth. It was a lot less than that. They wanted a one, one and a quarter million. Yorkshire camps didn't have it, but we were praying that we'd get it. And then it was sold and our hearts sank, but then it wasn't sold, sold, it fell through, we carried on praying. Then it was sold again and then it fell through again. And eventually, in February this year, it came up for auction. And Andy and Hannah, who was part of Yorkshire Camps, they went along to the auction. They so much longed for it, but they didn't have the money. And uh, the auctioneer began at 800,000. And it took a while for somebody to bid 800,000. Then it went to 850, 900, 950. And it stopped there. And the auctioneer said, look, it's worth a lot more than this. And apparently he was begging people, egging it on for nearly two minutes. And eventually it went for £950,000. And a trust bought it, not particularly a Christian trust. So I think there's some Christians involved in it. But a trust bought it and they walked across to Hannah and Andy and they just said, we bought this for you. It's yours. Just amazing. Absolutely amazing. A couple of days later, Hannah and Andy were in the tiny little hamlet. There are only about six houses there called Threshfield, just a, oh, I don't know, a quarter of a mile away from Netherside Hall. And they were, they were having a meal. And there were three men on the table next to, next to them. And uh, good Yorkshire accents. One said to the other, have you heard? Netherside Hall's gone. And the other one said, yeah, religious groups got it. And, uh, and then the first one said, must be a rich God. 
Yes, he is. <laughs> and that's what Ephesians 2 is saying. He is a rich God. And it's not just about, you know, the cattle on a thousand hills. It's not just about money, 950,000 pounds, etc. It's rich in grace and mercy. And that's what these verses... Have your Bible open. Let's look at them together. Because the passage begins, the first two verses, really describing what we were before we became Christians. In the United States, the lowest spot is a place called Death Valley. It's 280 feet below sea level. It's the lowest part of the United States. Interestingly, just 80 miles northwest is one of the very highest peaks of the United States, Mount Whitney. It's 14,495 feet. So from the lowest spot, it's not that far till you get to the highest spot. And in Ephesians 2, It's very similar, not geographically, of course, but spiritually. It begins, (coughs) excuse me, by plumbing the depths of pessimism about humanity. Now, I don't know what you think about humanity. I I have to say, the more I read in the newspapers, the more I see on the television news or hear on the radio news, the more I just hear going around about all that's going on, not just in Syria, Not just in Iraq, not just in the Middle East, but in our own localities. It's sort of, I don't know, it it impacts me. It it hurts, it affects me. My mother was actually born in a refugee camp in Aleppo in Syria. And every time I see little children in Syria, I think, do you know, my mum would have been like that. And it's painful. There is something awfully dark, something deeply rebellious about human beings. But Ephesians 2, which begins by, as I say, plumbing the depths of humanity, quickly moves on to rising to the heights of optimism about God and what God can do in us and through us. So here is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the Ephesians, a church he knew well, he loved very, very deeply. And he takes, he takes them back, but really he's taking us back. He's writing scripture. This is God's message to humanity. Those people say, oh, it's only Paul that wrote this. No, no, no. Paul wrote scripture. God, the Holy Spirit, worked in the mind of the Apostle Paul. So he was writing what God wanted him to write. And he took them, took us back to what our hearts are really like. And what they would have continued to be like if it was not for the intervention of God. If it wasn't for the fact that God has taken the initiative to do something, humanity would just have continued rebellious and refusing to listen and obey all that God has said. I've just recently finished reading the book of Jeremiah and I I, I enjoyed it immensely. Time and again, you find in Jeremiah, God rising early in the morning. It says that 11 times. God rising early in the morning to speak to Jeremiah who then is to go to the people and speak to them. And as he speaks to the people, he's to say to them, don't listen to the false prophets, but listen to what God says. But time and again, and I've marked them, there are loads of them. Jeremiah says to them, God is wanting you to hear, wanting you to repent, wanting you to come back to him, but you would not listen. And, and, and Paul here in these first two verses is saying that's, that's how we were, rebellious, refusing to listen, refusing to obey. There is, as it were, within every human being a seed of sin which sends its roots 
and it shoots to permeate every part of us and infect everything about us, the way we think and speak and act, the things we see, the things we hear, the things we do. We are, as it says here, dead. When, when the Bible uses the word dead, it doesn't mean annihilated. Death in the Bible means separated. In the day you sin, you will surely die. Well, they didn't die physically. They died spiritually. They were separated from God. We were dead in trespasses and sin. We were separated from this holy God because of our sinfulness. He is holy. We are sinful. The two are separated. And the things that are getting at us, well, the world, has everything without Outside, you know, the things we see and all that's going on. And sometimes we're drawn to it. Sometimes it looks very attractive. They know how to portray it attractively and enticingly. The flesh, that's not so much what's going on outside, but it's what's going on inside. The sort of natural desires that we have. Sometimes we want the most wicked things, don't we? Yeah, we have spiritual desires as well as Christians. But as non-Christians, we know what it is to be drawn to other things. And even sometimes as Christians, we have this struggle going on. And then the devil, the world, the flesh, the devil, all at work. The devil is the prince of this world. Satan is public enemy number one throughout the whole universe. Satan is the one who energizes the spiritually dead. They have a power and a strength that actually is beyond their own power and strength because of the work of the wicked one within them. And so from Satan flows this putrid stream of sin and death. Now we're going to see in a moment how from the Savior flows this pure stream of salvation and life. But if God's love is rejected and we continue in this dead, spiritually dead state, God's wrath must be revealed. In the Old Testament alone, I understand, I don't know Hebrew, but I understand there are 20 words that express God's wrath and over 600 passages that deal with it. And it's not a case that in the Old Testament, oh, you see God's wrath and in the New Testament, God's love. No, no, no. You see God's wrath and love in the Old and New Testament. But Paul describes us as we were. I I don't know everybody here. I know a lot of you. If there's somebody here and you've not yet trusted Jesus Christ, if you could see yourself as God sees you, I think you'd realize that, okay, you may be quite acceptable and respectable as far as society is concerned. But you're a long way from him. Sin separates. Sin cuts us off from God. Sin not only cuts us off from God, it would keep us out of heaven. And it would condemn us to hell because it is so serious. God has never grown accustomed to sin. And he can't because he's holy. He's never learned to excuse it or overlook it or push it under the carpet. Sin is always serious. That's what we were. But now let's look quickly at what we are. Because verses 3 and 4 sort of move on seamlessly from the wrath of God against our sinfulness to the love of God. Actually, both God's anger against sin and God's love toward the sinner both are part of the one nature of God. They're both elements of his character. So Paul moves from what we were by nature 
To what? Because he's writing to Christians. We are by grace, by God's love. But God, verse 4, it's another way of spelling grace, really. But God, it's the essence of the gospel. God takes the initiative to save lost men and women. So Christianity is not about us trying to get up to God. It's all about how God has come down to us. Our sin, which is repulsive to God, can be dealt with because of God's love, because our soul is precious to God. He looks at me as I was, and there is wrath. He looks as me, looks at me as I can be and have become because of Christ, and His love flows. Now, if we could just sort of bask in this and take it on board for a few moments, we would say this is incredible. This is the God who spoke to nothing and out of nothing, everything was formed and framed. Billions, not only of stars out there, but galaxies, some of them with billions of stars in each galaxy, just spoken and it all came into being. The wonder of it all. I had the privilege two or three years ago of going to New Zealand to to speak and my son works out there as well so we're seeing him too and we went to Vanuatu, the old New Hebrides, it's three hours flight away but this is a Pacific island and it was lovely and again I was speaking there in the University of the South Pacific Vanuatu, they were just wooden huts but I was, it sounded good and... Um, and then on the last day, they said, well, the flight is at whatever it was, two o'clock. Do you want to do anything? Oh, I said, I'd love to just go, yes, just go swim a little bit uh, around the coral. And they said, well, it's very dangerous. But anyway, and I put this snorkel on. And as soon as you just went under the water, an inch or two, and began to, it was like swimming in an aquarium. These beautiful, beautiful fish. Absolutely God. This is God who's made all of this, the stars. The delicacy of a tiny little flower. The beauty of all of creation. A newborn baby. And and just take one part of our beings, the eye. Light comes through the cornea and then through the focusing lens to the retina. We all know a little bit about this. Stimulated on the retina are 125 million Nerve endings, and they're all stimulated simultaneously in a split second. Now, this produces millions of micro switches which funnel to the optic nerve at the back of our eye individual messages, all taken on board by insulated fibers, and these are passed as information to the brain, and it happens in, well, I was going to say split seconds, but milliseconds. That's incredible, isn't it? And I can focus and refocus my eye thousands of times in a day. I never think about it. I know I've got some eye crutches, but, but, you know, but nevertheless, nevertheless, incredible. But do you know, a Christian is a greater wonder than the delicacy and intricacy and the complicated nature of the eye or the fish in the sea of the Pacific or the vastness of space and all those billions of galaxies. A Christian is a greater wonder. A holy God who is wrathful towards everything that is contrary to his nature has loved us 
and provided a way whereby we who are dead can be made alive through his grace. His unmerited favor, because that's what grace is, the, the free gift of God's love. Because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, as he carried the weight of the world's sin there, God extends the offer of forgiveness to people like you and me. And he's willing to make us his. A dead person is made spiritually alive because Jesus died, tasting death for every man, the Bible says, dying in the sinner's place. And we're saved not by works, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to God's mercy, by faith, through grace. I come as a sinner to the Saviour and he has done his all and he's willing to forgive me as my faith is placed in him. And then I'm seated in heavenly places. That's what it says here. It's, it's quite stunning, really, in verses 5 and 6 and 7. Now, these were the Ephesian Christians he was writing to. It, Ephesus was a place of idolatry and, superstitious and superstition and luxury and vice. It, 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 of course, had the shrine of Diana. And yet the Christians were living and working, they were seeing all these things, they were impacting, of course, day by but, but Paul says, no, 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 it's not so much that you're in Ephesus, you're seated in heavenly places. Your real place of abode is in Christ, who is at the right hand of the throne of God. Grace. I don't know whether you ever read the writings of Chuck Swindle, he's always worth reading, and even if you're not you know, particularly good at reading. He, he's easy to read. He's worth, he's worth reading. He has a book that was quite influential called Grace Abounding. And he tells the story of when he got to his 13th birthday. This is years ago in the United States. And uh, it was his 13th birthday. It, it, it was in October, apparently. It was a muggy sort of day. And when he woke up, he could hear his, his father out in the garden who shouted to him and said, Charles, come out and help me weed the garden. And he sort of shouted back, in a half-asleep fashion, but a bit of a surly way. No! It's my birthday! Remember? And then he describes what happens. His dad, he said he's never heard or seen him run faster. But he ran into the house, chasing through the house, whacking his rear end, give him a good lesson on his seat of learning, and really walloped him. Made him work in the garden all day. And it was his 13th birthday. But he got what he deserved. But then his dad said, come on, son. And he took him into the town to Chuck Swindoll's favourite restaurant and gave him a lovely meal as a treat for becoming a teenager. Now that was grace. There was wrath, yes, and rightly so. But nevertheless, there was grace. So Paul describes what we were and what we are, but then he goes on to say what we will be. He's raised us up together, made us sit together in there in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is God at work without any charge to us, no strings attached. And he says, look, I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to bring you to know me, give you a relationship with myself and one day with me for all eternity in glory. 
The Buddhist has the Eightfold Path, of course. The Hindu has the doctrine of karma. The Jew has the covenant. The, 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 the Muslim has the code, etc. Always to try and earn approval with God. We never can. He's too big for small us to get to. And he's too holy for sinful us to reach. But God's love is unconditional. He has come down to us. And it's all about Jesus. We shall be with him. Many of you know that when I'm doing evangelistic missions, what I like to do is I interview somebody for maybe 35, sometimes 40 minutes, and then I speak for 35. And, um, and, and that's what I do. And sometimes I'm given people to interview that I've never met before. I had one like this just a few weeks ago. A chap called Bruce Pearson. Brought up in Bradford. And... Um, Rough, rough home, really. He left school at 16. He went to work in London. But he was introduced in London to, first of all, drink. So he became an alcoholic and then drugs. Eventually, he lost his job because of his drinking and his addiction. And he started living on the streets. And he lived on the streets for something like 14 years. He had no contact with Christian things, never had had, never thought about the things of God. But one Saturday, six years ago, he was seated on a park bench in the centre of Bradford. And a 17-year-old boy from Huddersfield, he said, I've got to say, I just wonder whether he was an angel, but you, you listen. A 17-year-old boy from Huddersfield just came up to him on a Saturday morning and said, have you ever thought why Christ died for you? Well, he hadn't. It never crossed his mind. But he couldn't get it out of his mind. That was it. That was the end of the conversation. And he just couldn't get it out of his mind. That afternoon, another guy came up to him and said, you look really hungry. I've got some brothers I know. They'd give you a meal if you want. Do you want to come for one? He said, all right. So this chap took him to the Central Roman Catholic Church in Bradford and some Franciscan monks, brothers, gave him a meal. Well, there he is eating this meal and they all left him and he saw a golden crucifix. He thought, ooh, I could nick that and sell it. So he's going to try and get down this crucifix when one of the monks came back and saw him and spoke to him and gave him a copy of Matthew's Gospel. He took it away and he read it three times. He'd never read anything like that before. And he went back to the monks in the Catholic Church and said, I really enjoyed that. Have you got anything else? They gave him Mark's Gospel. And he read and reread that and he went back. Anything else? They gave him Luke's gospel. And he did the same with that. He went back and they said, look, have this. And they gave him a Bible. And he read and read and read. And listen to this. The more he read, the more he realized that actually what the Bible was teaching was not what the Catholic Church was teaching. So he decided he'd go to Sunbridge Road Mission, which is near the center of Bradford. And there he heard the gospel and was converted, and in a split second the addiction was broken, and the desire for alcohol gone. He now works amongst drug addicts and prostitutes in the Bradford area, employed by Sunbridge Road Mission. The grace of God. And talk to Bruce, and he loves the Lord Jesus. Jesus turned his life around. He forgave his sin. He gave him a new start. He loves the Lord Jesus. But one more quick story. Last Friday, Alan Mitchell and I went to see a beach mission leader, well, an ex-beach mission leader in Belfast. He's probably about 61, 62. He's, he's pretty hefty, 
but then he lives a sedentary life. He's got, I don't know quite what, something between Parkinson's disease and motor neuron disease. He's losing all the ability to do the things that we do naturally, like swallow and open our eyes. So he has to battle to open his eyes. And he's just seated there. He's got a dog, a yapping dog, that apparently is deaf. And it snores. Anyway, we will go down that line. But it's... And he tried to talk to us. And to be honest, Alan understood more than I did. I could hardly understand anything he was saying. This very successful man and everything taken from him. And we spent time. I only remember one sentence that he said. God is good. And I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus as he is. It's the grace of God that transforms the darkest situations and brings a brightness that's all to do with Jesus and his pouring his love into us, even though we don't deserve it. Things may have happened to you or may happen in the future which make you doubt your worth towards God. But I want to say on the authority of this passage, chapter 2, verse 10 especially, we are his workmanship. And in verse 7, in the coming ages, he will show us his incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness through the Lord Jesus Christ. One last thing I want to say. What we were and what we are and what we will be, but it is all because of who God is and therefore he has done what he has done. God didn't lack any resources. He gave himself to save us. And out of his infinite riches, God met our abject poverty and transformed we who are Christians, who are spiritually bankrupt, into spiritual multi-millionaires. The bank would never see me as a multi-millionaire, but God does. I have riches from this rich God because of his mercy and his grace. And the coming of the Lord Jesus to go to a cross and carry our sin, to die and be buried and rise from the dead, was not a last minute afterthought, an emergency meeting in the cabinet room of heaven. What do we do now humanity has sinned? No, before even the foundation of the world, God knew that there would come this moment in the fullness of time when Jesus would die. This was planned in the heart of God. It wasn't a last minute response. Jesus goes to a cross and dies. And God raises him from the dead and exalts him. And we who were dead, God raises and will exalt us in Christ because of his grace. The grave couldn't hold Jesus. And neither can the grave hold the sinner who's been made alive in Jesus. Yes, we may die. Who knows? The Lord might come first, but we may die. But death is but the doorway to eternal life. We have a new position in Christ. Sinners have become saints. So Saint Crispin, correct. But you can put your name there as well if you've trusted Christ. We love him. And we live for him because we are his workmanship. In my newspaper just a few weeks ago, I noticed in the obituary columns, the obituary of a man I'd never heard of before called John Vickers. But if you're into opera, you'll know he was Covent Garden's most prominent and popular singer some years ago. They call him God's tenor. He was a born again believer who was an opera singer. And what the thing that the Daily Telegraph obituary column majored on was the fact 
he dared to refuse to sing blasphemy. Some of the great operatic scores that there are, he was given the honour of being able to sing them. No, he said, I will not sing blasphemy. You see, when we are in Christ, when we've received his grace, when we've passed from death to life, from hell to heaven, from captivity to freedom, from hopelessness to hope, we're his workmanship. We want to live for him. We're, we're his masterpiece. Can you imagine? I am God's masterpiece. I am. There's more of me than there should be, but I'm still God's masterpiece. And so are you if you've trusted him. I'm not really into films at all, and I don't think I've ever seen a Western in my life. But uh, I was looking up in my illustration book and I came across this. Some of you, if you know this film, you are very old. But nevertheless, there was an old film in which Gary Cooper, ever heard of him? Mm, Oh, Steve, you are old, yes. Um, (laughs) Starred and it was called The Hanging Tree. And apparently Gary Cooper stars as a doctor who saves people's lives. And in one scene, a young man in the film is shot and he's going to die. But Dr. Gary Cooper, as it were, um, uh, pulls out the bullet and is able to save the man's life. And the man, very, very grateful for having been rescued, asks the doctor, you know, I'm so deeply grateful to you. What can I do for you? And in the film, Gary Cooper says, I need an assistant. So why don't you come and assist me and I'll teach you what to do. And the guy who's been rescued, saved, turns to him and says, um, and, and, and for how long do you want me to do that? And Gary Cooper replies, for the rest of your life, because that's how long you would have been dead if I hadn't saved you. <laughs> Great line. His masterpiece, because of his grace? Yes. Not just for the rest of our lives, but for all eternity because that's how long we'd be lost and outside of his grace if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus came and died for our sin, your sin, my sin. The one who was the life died? Yes. And three days later rose. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, if you haven't yet asked him to forgive you, why don't in your heart of hearts, right now, just say, oh Lord, save me. Make me yours. Take me from what I was to what I now can be in you. And one day we'll be with you. And if you are his, you are his. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. It is a supreme demonstration of the grace, the goodness, the mercy of God. A God who is rich in mercy. And he can make you and me spiritual multi-millionaires. Let's revel in it and enjoy it. And one day we'll be able to praise him for all eternity. Amen.